evening, everyone. Thanks, Glenn and Gaze. If you have a Bible or can uh, access one, I invite you to turn to Revelation 3. Uh, so far in this series called Seven, uh, we've listened to the first four messages of Jesus to particular first century churches in Asia Minor. Although, as we've been saying all along, each message is potentially relevant to any church at any time in any place, including Windsor Baptist, because every time Jesus finishes his messages, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And so tonight we we arrive at message five, to church number five in a place called Sardis. Now, we don't know anything about the origin of this church. We don't know who started it. We don't know who was involved in it. We don't know how it grew, but it did grow. And we do know that it was reasonably well known. And of the seven messages, this is one of the shortest. It may be even the shortest. And you could argue it is also the most severe. It's the most distressing of the seven messages. Because what Jesus says to the church in Sardis is genuinely awful. Three words. And that's not all he says, but it's the headline. Three words which directed at any church is catastrophic. Spells disaster. And when it was read out for the first time, can you imagine hearing this letter read out for the very first time? If you were in that congregation at Sardis, hearing this for the first time, it would have sent shockwaves through your community. You are dead. Now, that's not a threat, that's an assessment. That's an evaluation on the part of Jesus. And honestly, I cannot imagine hearing that. I cannot imagine what hearing that must have been like. How would you process it? How would you come to terms with it if you are an active and a busy church? And especially, how would you come to terms with it when it is said by the Lord of the church to you? But here's the issue, or here's the question. Is Sardis an exceptional situation? Is it a one-off? Is Sardis the only church who ever has heard or ever will hear those three words? I don't think so, and that's the challenge. So let's read the entire and relatively short message, uh, and you can keep, please do, just keep your seats. Uh, as we read God's heart-searching word. So this is Revelation 3, starting at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Initially, unlike most other messages, Jesus has nothing positive to say about this church. Others are saying positive things about this church, and we'll come back to that, but, but not Jesus. And I say initially Jesus has nothing positive to say or highlight because look down at verse four, because Jesus does, as we heard, he identifies and he affirms some Christians in that church who are not messing up. There, there's some Christians there who are not mixing it up. The way he puts it is, they have not soiled their garments. It's a rather arresting, somewhat unsettling phrase, but it simply means there are those there who have the intention to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. There are some there who are living the life. There are some there amongst you who are seeking to be holy. And in any church, even if it is in a bad place generally, you still often find some committed disciples of Jesus, some faithful witnesses, some authentic believers. And here in Sardis, despite the overall bleak condition of the church, there are some who are still alive. There are some who are in a good place. There are some who are still walking the walk and talking the talk. Now, as I've said, other people were saying really positive things about this church. You have, says Jesus, the reputation of being alive. So this, this church had, and this is part of what that description means, this church had acquired quite a name for itself in the community, maybe even in the city, maybe even beyond people looked on at this church, they looked into this church and thought, there's life there. Now, we're not explicitly told, and I would love to know the reason for this, but we're not explicitly told, why did they have this reputation? Clearly, they were an active church, a busy church. They were running things, doing stuff. They were meeting, they were worshiping, they were listening, they were growing. I don't know exactly why they had a great reputation, but it was obvious something was happening. There were signs of vitality. But despite outward appearances, and we all know how notoriously deceptive those can be, but despite what it looked like, to quote John Stott, this socially distinguished congregation was a spiritual graveyard. It seemed to be alive but it was actually dead. You see, Jesus could see beneath the surface, behind the exterior. Man looks in the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We know that. That's just the way it works. Jesus sees beyond reputation to reality. And the reality at Sardis 
is that this church is in a dire state. To onlookers, it seemed well. From a human perspective, it looked healthy, but in the eyes of the one who really mattered, it was in a critical condition. Shocking. Sad. Now, Jesus goes on to say something more by way of explanation. He does say something more regarding their position. End of verse 2, he says this, For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So what does that mean? What was Jesus getting at when he said that? Again, it's not explicit. It may mean that they started well, but they didn't finish much. They lacked perseverance or endurance. Or it could be that that in all their activity and busyness, they had lost sight of why they were doing what they were doing. They got to a point of maybe simply just going through the motions. They turned up, but effectively tuned out. They sang songs, they prayed prayers, they read Bible, but their hearts weren't in it. Lip service only. Maybe it means their obedience was partial. I have not found your works, your deeds complete. Your obedience is only partial. You obey up to a point. You only obey on certain issues. Or maybe it is that they accommodated compromise, which given the later comment of Jesus that there are some Christians among you who have not soiled their garments, well, that would, that would add up. Many of you are accommodating compromise. You're entertaining immorality and sin. You're putting up a front. But I see beneath the surface. And in a sense, what Jesus seems to be getting at is dangerously close to this whole issue of hypocrisy where I look good in the outside, but internally it's a whole different matter. Like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're just full of bones that are dead. And it can happen. It can happen. And it has happened. And it still might happen. So reputation versus reality. What about us, Windsor? What about me? You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Is a lyric that we sometimes sing. And it's relevant here. Does Windsor have a good reputation? Has it got a good name? And if it does, that is okay. In fact, that's probably a good thing. But if it's reputation only, without reality, then we may have a problem. Well, back to Sardis. Because if if Jesus had simply just issued this diagnosis and then offered no hope and no way back to life, it would have been truly tragic. I mean, if, that had, if that's all he had done, it would have been awful, but he doesn't. And yes, they may be dead, there may be death, but clearly it's not final. There is a way back, there is grace, there's always grace. Although it's true, there's urgency as well. This requires, says Jesus, immediate action, and the reason we know that is in verse three, Jesus says, listen, 
unless you take action, unless you listen, unless you respond to this, I'm going to come back like a thief and you will, know, you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So some level, and I don't, I don't fully understand this, I'll be honest, but some level of judgment is imminent if you remain in this state. They will not survive. This church will not survive on reputation only forever. This situation cannot prevail, says Jesus. There are consequences to pretense and faking it and putting up and putting on a show. There are consequences to superficial Christianity. Is what Jesus seems to be saying here to this church. And so what does he say to them? What does he say to me in order to be revived? Well, Jesus issues five commands. It's brilliant. I love this. Five staccato imperatives, as someone has called them. And here they are. Jesus says, wake up, strengthen, remember, keep it, repent. And so it starts with just coming to your senses. Just wake up. Get real. Realize that this current situation can't go on. And let's be honest, why would you want that current situation to continue? I mean, going through the motions, being busy and doing stuff just for the sake of it, paying lip service, it's all just tiring. It's rubbish. Doesn't nourish, doesn't feed your soul. And so a wake-up call is vital for your spiritual health and well-being. And staying in this state of not wakening up, you're potentially sleepwalking towards spiritual disaster. And so Jesus says, guys, you need to wake up. Apparently in some uh, translations, I'm not sure what translation of God's word you're using, but in some translations, it doesn't say wake up, it says be watchful. If you use an AV, an authorized version, that's how it's rendered, be watchful. And what it means is keep on being watchful. And clearly the Christians in Sardis had failed to do this. They'd lost their way. Many times in the New Testament, you come across this whole idea of stay alert, be alert. Watch and pray. Time and time again, you hear there is this need from the New Testament teachers, you gotta be focused. You gotta be attentive. You gotta be on this because whenever you lose that, whenever you just become comfortable and casual about your Christian life and about Christian growth and discipleship, then you may be, you can be on a slippery slope. Wake up. That's what Jesus says to this church. And then he says, strengthen what remains, although what he actually says, just after he has confirmed they're dead, he actually says strengthen what remains and is about to die, so it's not a lost cause. There are hints of life, there's glimmers of hope, and so he says strengthen those things, strengthen those practices, strengthen those disciplines, strengthen those habits that are still around, rescue the good things that you do have before they're completely gone. Because when you bolster up your life, or when you bolster up the life that does exist, however tentatively it does exist, it creates and it generates more life, it stimulates growth. Strengthen what remains, says Jesus, which again requires intention. You gotta make the effort. So don't quit reading scripture. Don't quit praying. Don't give up serving. Don't stop meeting together. There are things that remain. Strengthen those, however weak they feel. And thirdly, he says, remember 
what you've received and what you've heard. Well, the heard part's easy to understand. They needed to remember the word of God spoken to them, shared with them. Because whenever, whenever you do forget the word of God as a Christian, you just sound the death kill. But what about what they've received? Remember what you've heard, but also remember what you've received. Well, what have they received as Christians? What have we received as Christians? Well, one thing's for sure, they'd received the Holy Spirit. That, that's absolutely obvious. One of the lessons that we have been learning throughout this series is that the way Jesus introduces himself to each church, and remember, he introduces himself differently to all seven churches, but the way he introduces himself to each church connects to and relates to what he goes on to say to that particular church. And so here in Sardis, if you look at verse one, how does Jesus introduce himself? He says this, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, the seven stars, as we know, for those of you who again have been following the series, you know that the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. But who or what are the seven spirits of God? Again, for those who've been part and have been following Revelation, you will know that this is actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because seven in Revelation is the number of completion. It is the number of fullness. It's the number of reality. And therefore, to quote one person that's way smarter than me, the seven spirits of God is a way of saying the real spirit of God in all his fullness. And so Jesus says, this is the words of him who has the spirit of God and I've given them to you. And Jesus made it clear before he returned to be with his father, he made it clear to all his followers, he said, listen, one day whenever I return to be with my father, I am gonna send, I am gonna give you the Holy Spirit. And so because they were believers and because many of us are believers, we have received him. But it seems in Sardis, their memory's fading. They were forgetting. Remember what you've received. They were forgetting what they'd received. They'd sidelined the Holy Spirit. They'd quenched the Holy Spirit. They'd grieved the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit who breathes life into dead bones. We know that. It's the spirit who actually gives life. And so we're taught to keep in step with the spirit. We're taught to be filled with the spirit, to live in the power of the spirit, to pray in the spirit, to worship in the spirit. And for these Christians, it seemed to be as they were losing life, as they were dying, they were forgetting what they'd received, who they'd received. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. They'd forgotten it. I'm sure you've, uh, I'm sure you've heard this rather provocative question before. But if the Holy Spirit stepped out of our lives, or away from this church, how long would it be before until we noticed? Um, am I tangibly aware of the presence and influence of the Holy Spirit in my personal life on a day-to-day basis? Am I remembering? If I have forgotten the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit who's with me all the time, who's in me, who wants to make me more like Jesus, who wants to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in my life. If I forget that he's there and I begin to die, 
So Jesus says to this church, remember what you've received. And then the next command is keep it or keep on keeping it. And he's just said, remember what you've received. So in other words, don't let go of the Holy Spirit. Don't lose sight of his presence and power. Whenever Paul was writing to the Christians in Ephesus, he urged them, and this was something we've already mentioned, he urged them, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we all know it's not a one-off thing. It's a constant, continual requirement. It's not a one-off experience. Keep what you've received. Keep what you've heard as well. Keep being filled, but keep what you've heard. What does it mean to keep what we've heard? When it comes to the word of God, it means don't just listen to it. You gotta keep it. You gotta live in obedience to it. And then the final thing Jesus says, by way of coming back to life. And in some ways, you'd think this should come top of the list. This should come first, repent. It's not the first time that that word appears and that command appears in the book of Revelation. And as was the case in Revelation 2, and again, it's, it's a word that is directed often in Revelation 2, Christians. Here it's directed to a church, to Christians. To the church in Pergamum, it was directed to them as a church of believers. So this is not about initial repentance. This is not about coming to Jesus for the first time. This is about the need to keep repenting as necessary whenever we lose our way and get it wrong. And we do, and I do, I know I do so often. And so if the church in Sardis are gonna come back from the dead and be truly alive again, then they're gonna need to turn around That's what repentance means. They're gonna need to turn around from the behavior they've adopted, whatever that behavior exactly is, whatever it is that's soiling their garments, whatever immorality they're entertaining and sin they're entertaining, they need to turn around from it. They need to turn away from it. They need to turn around from their lack of reality. You can't live on the back of reputation and activity and busyness. You gotta turn around from that. You gotta turn around from mere lip service. You gotta turn around from hypocrisy. You need to turn back to God. You need to confess. You need to say sorry. You need to recognize where you've gone wrong and get back on track. That's what Jesus says to this church. Five commands to avoid dying. You are dead, but there's still certain signs of life. And so here's how to get back to life. Wake up. Watch out. Snap out of it. Don't drift. Strengthen what remains. There mightn't be much going on by way of Christian life and practice, but what is there? Reinforce it. Bolster it. Shore it up. Remember. Keep it. Repent. Arrest the decay. Come back to the heart of worship. And if there are any of us who sense that kind of spiritual death, we sense that lethargy. If our spiritual health is not good, or if it's not as it once was, maybe even more simply gone through the motions, then I urge you, I appeal to you, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to us. And as always, Jesus finishes his message with a promise. I love this every single time after he has said we said sometimes what he said is really hard and to this particular church it is really hard but after he finishes saying what he's saying he gives promises to those who do overcome to those who do conquer and he says there's two things so verse five the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments they will be the real deal and they will walk with me they are the ones who are worthy And secondly, still in verse five, he says this, and I will never blot his 
or their name out of the book of life. And I will confess his, their name before my father and before his angels. So it seems God has a book. And of course there's symbolism here. But the symbol is serious because it seems to be something called the book of life, not death. And so the names of those who are spiritually alive are found in this book, in the Lamb's book of life as it's called elsewhere. And one day that book will be opened and all will be judged by what's written in it. And those whose names are not found there, that have been blotted out, well, they face, it would seem, a grim and godless eternity. And Jesus says to his followers, you guys need to rejoice that your names are written in heaven, as he says again in that book. And to those in Sardis who shift from reputation only to reality, from those in Sardis who are truly and become truly alive in Christ, who come back from spiritual death, who come back from mediocrity, Jesus not only promises, listen, I will never blot your names out of that book, but I'll do something else. I will confess your name before my Father and before all the angels. I will acknowledge you before all of heaven if you belong to me and remain committed to me. And so the message finishes with that usual line, And the question is, I wonder, did the church at Sardis take it to heart? I wonder, did they take it to heart? I wonder what they did out of the back of those three headline words. And then what Jesus went on to say. Well, even if they did nothing, we must always make sure we do something. We must listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. And if there's even a hint of death, if it's reputation only, then we need not only to hear, but we need to do, do what the Spirit has sent us. The guys are gonna come back and we're gonna sing, I think it's Search Me, Know Me, Try Me and See, a song that invites God to actually look beyond the exterior and beneath the surface and to the way things really are. So let's uh, stand together as we sing, Search Me, Know Me.